Before I was a, a minister, I'd hardly ever been to a funeral. I think I'd maybe been to two. So I wasn't a person who was very accustomed to being around death and dying, uh, and certainly not at funeral services. And that obviously has changed quite dramatically in the last four years. As a minister, you get to, to spend time with people who are dying, and then you get to spend time with, with family and friends uh, later on who are coming to terms with that. Now, unless you're somebody who has, has been around situations like this, you'd probably imagine that, that all death and, and dying is much the same. But my experience has been that that's actually not the case. Um, there seems to be quite a, a difference between one death and another. Uh, of course, all, all deaths and the subsequent funerals are, are sad. They're, they're, they're tragic events, and that goes without saying. But as I say, there can be the world of a difference between one and another. There's one, on the one extreme, I suppose, I've, I've been involved in, in deaths and also taken part in funerals where there's just an overwhelming sense of hopelessness surrounding the death. For the, the family and the friends of the people concerned, there is, there's just this, this sense that, that life itself can't be worth living. As long as death exists, it feels like life itself is just some cruel joke and death is a reminder of that. At the funeral, it, it can be clear that the congregation has no hope at all. And often the worst part of a funeral like that is, is at the, the graveside, where the lowering of the, the coffin of the body into the grave just intensifies the grief. It seems that there's nothing in many, many cases to be said in the face of death. That's, that's one type of funeral that I have been involved in. But sometimes a, a death and a funeral can be very, very different than that. And I'm thinking at the moment of, of one instant where I was at the bedside of a dying man in hospital and he didn't have much energy left to speak. But he pulled me over and he whispered to me, Christoph, I'm tired and I want to go home. Here was a man for whom dying had absolutely nothing for him to fear anymore. For him, dying was just going to, to be a, as a short journey to go to a place that he had always longed to be, and that's to be at home with his Father in heaven. And, and often at funerals, funerals of, of people like this, a strange thing happens where the deep, deep sorrow that there is at the, the loss of this person meets uh, an even deeper joy, an even deeper sense that although this person has left us, everything's all right because they're safe and they're in the hands of God. Two weeks ago in, in our little series here, we thought about death and we thought particularly about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Well, I want to, to pick up and follow on from that, really, because if you know your Bible at all, you'll know that that's not the end of the story. The Bible teaches, the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ rises from the dead, and I think most of us would have a sense of that. 
we've been at Easter services and, and we know that part of the story. But I wonder if you realize this. The Bible makes an astonishing claim. It makes a claim that because Jesus rose from the dead, so can you. Because Jesus rose from the dead, so can you. Listen to what Paul says. Since Jesus died and broke loose from the grave, God will most certainly bring back to life those who died in Jesus. Anyone who has trusted Jesus Christ, God's going to raise from the dead every bit as much as he raised Jesus. There's another passage where Paul speaks about this. He says, For if we are reconciled to God through the death of his Son, how much more, once we've been reconciled, will we be saved through his life? What Paul's saying here, in effect, he's saying, if Jesus' death made us right with God, how much more is his resurrection going to do for us? His rising from the dead. This morning we're going to spend just a few moments thinking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. First of all, we need to be sure that we believe this. How can we be sure that this event actually took place 15 years ago. And that's where I want to look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, with you for a moment. Down to verse 39, Mark has been dealing with the crucifixion, and that's the passage we looked at a few weeks ago. But look at verse 40. Mark now homes in on a few women who have watched this whole gruesome ordeal. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. So these three women watched the death of Jesus. But if you look down to verse 47, we're told that two of these women saw Jesus being buried. Now let's, let's take a moment here. If we're in any doubt about Jesus' death, Mark quickly dispels any possible doubt that there might be. Look at verse 42. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so he gave the body to Joseph. Jesus died more quickly than a person crucified would normally die. It may have been to do with the, the dreadful suffering that he experienced before his death. But Pilate just wants to be sure, so he asks the centurion for an autopsy. Now, Romans and this centurion, these, these people had many talents, but one of their great skills was killing people. These men were experts on this. And there's a couple of things that we need to be aware of. They knew, for example, that if you wanted to speed up a death by crucifixion, you did it by breaking the victim's legs. The men wouldn't have any power in their legs to push themselves up to support, uh, to support their bodies. Their lungs would be stretched and collapsed and they'd suffocate. In John's Gospel, Mark doesn't record it, but John tells us that Jesus' legs were never broken because he was already dead. The, the thief on either side 
They had their legs broken, but Jesus didn't. There's another thing that we, we need to know. These Roman executioners, they knew what happens inside the human body when a person dies, that, that blood coagulates. The, the red part of our blood thickens at the point of death, and, and the fluid, the clearer fluid, that almost water-like, separates away from it. That's why whenever they stuck a spear in Jesus' side, flowing from his side was a mixture of blood and water. Again, another indicator that Jesus had died. Whenever Pilate got this report from the centurion, he he gave Joseph permission to take the body. Look at verse 46. So Joseph took some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen, placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. We're trying to establish here whether Jesus was definitely dead. If you look at this, Pontius Pilate, the centurion, the Roman soldiers, Joseph of Arimathea, and the women, all of these people were entirely certain that Jesus was dead. There's no doubt about it. All of the evidence points towards this conclusion that Jesus has died. So that's the first thing that we need to be sure about. Jesus wasn't in a semi-conscious state. This wasn't some sort of a prank of putting a, a live person into a tomb. Jesus was entirely dead. If we read on in this story, we find that once this Jewish holy day was over, the women returned to the tomb, the same tomb where they watched Jesus being buried. Now, we, we relive this every year at Easter. And because we read the story backwards, I, I think we, we go to the tomb expecting it to be empty. These women didn't. They went to the tomb with spices because they were going to anoint a dead person's body. They did not go expecting to find an empty tomb. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? These women were going to a tomb where they expected to find a dead man, and they knew that somebody would have to roll a stone away to make it possible for them to do that. These women are about to have the most shocking morning of their lives. The first shock we read of in verse 4, the stone's been moved. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Now, there's a couple of things we need to know about this. This stone that was in front of the tomb, Mark doesn't tell us, but one of the other gospel writers does, as well as the stone, there was a seal put on it, a Roman seal. Anyone who ever opened a Roman seal without authority was subject to execution. That was the penalty. Nobody opens Roman seals. So there was a seal on the tomb, but there was also an armed guard on the tomb. Again, these armed guards, they weren't just like a a few Securicor guys paid to, to stand the door in a shopping center. These men were there on pain of death. If the thing that a Roman soldier is guarding ever goes missing, 
again, that's punishable by death. So you understand here that to find this grave open and the stone rolled away was entirely not what the women expected. They were, they were shocked. But then comes the second shock. Look at verse 5. They entered the tomb and they saw a young man dressed in white sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Understandably, they're terrified. But then the young man speaks to them. Don't be alarmed, he says. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. It's as though this, this young man's saying, yeah, it's okay. I know why you're here. You've come to the right place. This is where you'd expect Jesus to be, but he's not here. So that's the, the second massive shock. First of all, the stone's gone, but the tomb's empty, and there's this, this other man in there. The reason the tomb's empty is because Jesus isn't dead anymore. He's alive that is a certain historical fact. It's one that you can be absolutely sure about and that you can rely on. Three days after Jesus died on a cross outside Jerusalem, he rose again from the dead. That's a fact. Now, this is where your confidence in the Bible comes under scrutiny. Do you believe this stuff or don't you? Is this stuff true or is it not? That's a decision each one of us needs to be absolutely sure of in our minds, that we have thought about that and that we have responded. Dr. Simon Greenleaf is the Royal Professor of Law at Harvard University. And one time, not so long ago, whenever he was a famous skeptic of the Christian faith, he was asked to evaluate the resurrection of Jesus Christ using the same legal practices that would be used in a modern court of law. When he published the findings, this is what he wrote. According to the laws of legal evidence, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is proven by more substantial evidence than any other event in ancient history. There's more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ than any other event. If you want to believe in Julius Caesar, if you want to believe in, in the entirety of the Roman Empire, if you want to believe in any of these things, you're believing, you're believing them based on the evidence. There's more of such evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ than any other of those events. So Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And if, if that's true, and we're saying this morning that it is, then we need to think about that. Each one of us needs to think about that and how we might respond to that. I, again, Mark in his gospel here, shows us a few responses. Let's look very, very quickly at them. In verse 8 of chapter 16, we see the response of the women. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. I don't blame them. If I went to a, a grave and expected to find it as was, and there was some sense that the person from the grave was gone, I think I'd be terrified and bewildered as well. The interesting thing here, though, is that the, the man who, whom they met in the tomb, he told them, look at verse 7, he told the women that Jesus was going to Galilee just as he told you. These women were afraid and bewildered, but, but the guy said, well, you shouldn't be. 
You should have been expecting this. You see, Jesus had told his disciples before he died, I will be put to death. But he also told them, three days later, I'm going to rise again. And somewhere along the line, they missed that. They didn't quite understand that. Because the women didn't understand everything that Jesus had said, they were afraid and confused. And folks, I think it's the same for each one of us here this morning. If we don't believe this stuff and understand it, we will be confused and afraid and we won't respond properly to the resurrection of Jesus Christ if we don't get that. So that's the first reaction is the women. The second, the women ran and told the other disciples finally. Mark doesn't have it here in his account, but if you read John's gospel, you get a feel for how Peter and John, two of the disciples, responded. They run to the tomb. Let me quickly read it to you. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind them, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he believed. They still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They saw and they believed, but they didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. What does this mean? Well, the thing, these two, all that these two actually believed was what the women had told them. They just believed that the tomb was empty. But they didn't believe anything about Jesus rising from the dead at this point because Mark, or John, sorry, goes to, to lengths to say that. All that they believed is the report of these women. And you know, I think there are a lot of people like that today. And maybe a lot, a lot of people like that here this morning. People who are happy to come to church and, and hear this stuff. This stuff about Jesus dying, about the tomb one day having been empty. But they leave it at that. They don't, they don't get the full implications. These two men at this point don't understand that Jesus rose from the dead. So that's a, a second response The third one comes a little bit later. It wasn't until Jesus physically appeared to some of his disciples that they finally began to believe, yes, Jesus has risen from the dead. And at that point, they all believed, except for one. And again, Mark doesn't record this, but John does. One of the disciples, and he's he's got a rather unfortunate nickname ever since, Doubting Thomas, he just couldn't believe this. You see, Thomas knows what you know and what I know. Dead people don't come back. They don't. So Thomas is well within his rights to say, no, listen, feel free to believe that if you want, but I'm not going to. Thomas knows that dead people don't come back. Thomas says, okay, I'll I'll believe this. I'll believe this if, if I see Jesus. 
No, no, actually seeing him won't be enough because my, my mind might be playing tricks on me. It's not until I touch him, until I put my finger in the, the print of the nails in his hands, until I put my hand on his side, then I'll start to believe this stuff. John tells us in his gospel, what happens when doubting Thomas comes face to face with Jesus? A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was there with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in, and he stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your hand here. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas makes one of the the simplest but clearest confessions of belief in the whole Bible. He says, my Lord and my God. All of a sudden, Thomas believes and he believes everything. Now that he's seen a dead man rise, he knows that everything that Jesus ever said is true. He knows that Jesus is God and he's willing to trust Jesus with everything. I'm almost finished. We've thought this morning about Jesus' resurrection from the dead and it's been a powerful reminder that despite despite appearances, death isn't the end. I need to say something at this point. The fact that death isn't the end sounds like good news. The truth is that it's good news for some people and it's bad news for others. It can be good news for everyone, but it's only, in practice, it ends up only being good news for some and bad news for others. You see, the fact that death isn't the end will be bad news for anyone who thinks they can go through this life doing as they please ignoring God, choosing to make their own way in the world. It would suit people like that if death really was the end. If there was no time after death when they'd be called to account for the lives that they've lived, but it's not. We learned about this a few weeks ago. Each one of us stands guilty before God. Each one of us will one day come under the justice and judgment of God. In Hebrews 9, we read that a person is destined to die once and then after that to face the judgment. Friends, death isn't the end. And it's not the end for anyone, even for those who choose to reject God. As a minister who shares with people as they die, and shares with those left behind, I count this just a wonderful, wonderful message to be able to share with people. Rather than fearing death, rather than fearing the grave and everything that lies beyond it, we can put our trust in Jesus Christ. Do you remember what we said about Jesus? When Jesus lived on the earth, he showed that he had power over death because he raised other people from the dead. Now we've thought about his own death, and Jesus came through his own death, raised by God. Jesus raises others, he has been raised himself, and he will 
raise those who trust in him. They'll be raised not for the judgment of God, but they'll be raised to enjoy the eternal presence of God, a place of wonderful joy and bliss, the place that 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 man in that hospital bed was thinking of, a place like home. Friends, it's all about response at this point. How are we going to respond to the death of Jesus Christ? If we respond by saying, no thanks, I don't believe, or that's not for me, then we choose to face the judgment of God on our own. But we don't need to. We can respond by trusting in Jesus. We can respond by by believing him who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. And whoever believes in me and dies will surely live. Friends, there's only one thing in life that we can be entirely sure of. There's only one fail-proof statistic, and that's that we will all die one day. Are you trusting Jesus Christ for that point? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is never a trivial word to us. Lord, today we've thought of of a topic that we often like to push to the side. Father God, we thank you for this wonderful news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you that those who trust in him will also rise with him one day. Lord, we thank you that you love human life to that extent. Lord, we thank you that when you pour your spirit into a person who has trusted Jesus, that spirit makes them into beings ready to live and live with you and enjoy you eternally. Lord, we pray that you would continue to be at work in our hearts. Lord, prompt each one of us to think seriously about our response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen.